Well, hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Jack. I am Bethany Northeast's lead pastor, and um, good to see some new faces if you meet those and faces I'm familiar with and I'm seeing again for the first, it's like the first time sometimes, and this was, this row is really close today, so sorry about that. Don't know what happened. Because there's tape on the floor, so they either move the tape up or, good thing I love you guys. Yeah, just back up a little bit. <laughs> so, um, I wish you guys, you guys don't have this in the front row, if you want to get up and move back a row. You're good. <laughs> Now that I've made it really awkward, um, we're in the kind of the first week, second week really of a new series, but last week was a kind of an intro where our senior pastor Richard um, started us off with a kind of an overarching ser- sermon on, on this series called Sustainable Faith, where we're looking at various spiritual disciplines, that's what they've been called throughout the history of the church, that uh, Christians have engaged in now for a couple thousand years um, as a way of... of sustaining faith. I mean, if you've ever, how many of you guys have run like a marathon or anything like that? You guys know most of you probably didn't just wake up and decide to go do it the next day or that day. I mean, some of you probably could. You're amazing runners, but that would probably ruin most of us. And so the idea here is that it took time and practice and lots of discipline, lots of wet mornings at 5 a.m. running, running, running to get to that place of being able to do that marathon. And the Bible talks about faith in the same way, that it's like this marathon that we're, we're engaged in. It takes a lot of practice, a lot of discipline, a lot of just showing up in order to have the faith that endures. And so some of the ways we do that is uh, these spiritual disciplines we're going to unpack over the next weeks. And today we're, at the, we're on the discipline of Bible intake or Bible reading. Uh, if you're looking at your bulletin, it does say Bible reading and journey. Um, as I studied this this week, I realized to, to, this is like such a foundational spiritual discipline that I, w- I want to just treat this one, Bible reading, Bible intake, by itself. I think actually journeys in there. This idea of revelation demands our response, but, and you'll hear that, but really just r- drilling down into this idea of reading the Bible and learning to, to understand it better, okay? So having said that, let's just take a moment to pray together, and then we'll open God's Word. God, thank you for... Uh, this community that we're gathered in and for the chance to now pause, open our word, the word that you've given us and ask you to reveal yourself through it. Uh, scripture does say, God, that your word is alive, that it's active, that it's sharper than any sword, that it has the profound ability to open our hearts, to bring us to deeper faith, to encourage us, but to also convict us, God, to challenge us, to shape us to be your people. So, God, would your Holy Spirit do that work this morning? Open our hearts, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, So, there's some books that you read. So, we're talking about a book, right? We're going to be talking about this a little bit today. There's some books that you read just for the information, for the advice they give you, right? And uh, there are other books you're probably reading only because everybody else is reading it. So, you know, you're in a book club, and Oprah said so, and so you do it. And then there's those books that we all remember reading at one time or another only because our ninth grade LA language arts teacher told us we had to, like To Kill a Mockingbird, or The Catcher in the Rye, or 1984, or Macbeth. Like, we've read those books, right? And maybe they weren't the most, maybe they were, but maybe they weren't the most inspiring books. But then there are these books that you read 
for no other reason than the fact that they, they feed you. They really feed your soul. Like the books whose covers you lift open because there are those turns of phrases in them and they're, they're sort of like this the beautiful writing, like a literary indulgence. You know the books I'm talking about? Um, these books that where you as the reader, you, you return to them over and over and over again. You never give them to goodwill, you know? Uh, you never give them to a friend because you know you'll never get it back ever. There was one such book that I came across in seminary called Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. Anybody read this book or know who Marilyn Robinson? A few of you have. Won the Pulitzer Prize. Come on, guys. I think it's on Obama's top 10, which doesn't make it necessarily amazing. Not that I'm biased, but I think it, he said that. So I was like, I'm going to read this book. Um, it's a book about a pastor. So that's why it was important to me who is nearing the end of his life. And so he writes it. It's a, it's a novel, but it's written as a memoir. Writes it as a memoir to his son. And he's kind of telling his son about his life and his journey as a pastor. And it has so many of these paragraphs in there that you go back to over and over. Here's one um, I wanted to just read to you because I just thought it was so beautiful. Uh, years ago, I was walking up to the church where he was the pastor, and there was this young couple strolling along half a block ahead of me. The sun had come up brilliantly after a heavy rain, and the trees were glistening and very wet. On some impulse, plain exuberance, I suppose, the fellow jumped up, caught hold of a branch, and a storm of luminous water came pouring down on the two of them. And they laughed and took off running, the girl sweeping water off of her hair and her dress as if she was a little bit disgusted, but she wasn't. It was a beautiful thing to see, like something from a myth. I don't know why I thought of that now, except perhaps it's easy to believe in such moments that water was made primarily for blessing and only secondarily for growing vegetables and doing the wash. Isn't that beautiful? Especially as we're entering the season of water. <laughs> water was made primarily for blessing, only secondarily for your vegetables and for the wash. Uh, Franz Kafka, who's another author from years ago, said this, that if the book we're reading does not wake us with a, as if a fist hammering our skull, then why are you reading it? Why are you reading it? A book must be, he says, <clears throat> like an ice axe to break the frozen sea within us. It's the purpose of these books. And so let me ask you this question. Is the Bible that? Is the Bible one of those books that you go to again and again and again, that you, you can never get enough of, that you would never lend out because you know you'd never get it back? Is it like this fist to your skull, breaking the, like an ice axe breaking this frozen sea within you? Is it that? I'm going to guess that for most of us, it's not. Uh, there's this book I have in my basement called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It's by this guy named Gordon Fee. I don't even know what it's about. Never read it. It's amongst the stacks of theology books in my basement collecting dust. And I think that's telling because most of us come to the Bible bored, confused, out of guilt, obligation, we're, and we're just not changed by it, most of us. There's a recent Lifeway research study that was done just came out actually in September uh, that found that 45% of people who regularly attend church, that would be all, 45% only read the Bible once a week, okay? Listen to this though. Over 40% of the people who regularly attend church only read their Bible occasionally, so once or twice a month, and almost one five, 20% never, ever read their Bibles. These are regular church churchgoers. 
Uh, and even though Americans, like I've read other research that we aren't reading much of any books anymore. I think one in four Americans haven't read a book this year. How many of you have read a, like cover to cover read a book this year? Wow, you guys are exceptional. <laughs> exceptional human beings. I mean, even though that's true of the general populace, these numbers around the Bible are discouraging, aren't they? Like that 20% of us have not touched our Bible this year. We never read it. Especially when you come to a scripture like Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 that I actually prayed. The word of God is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any sword. It has the ability, this profound ability to open us up. Do you believe that about, is that verse true? Or is that just some turn of phrase that the author of Hebrews wrote down and now we say? Do you believe the word of God? This book is alive. It has the ability to open you up, reveal to you who God is, who you are, your next step. And if you do, then how do you approach that word if most of us just aren't reading it? You know, how do you approach that word so that you can, as Gordon Fee said, read it for all it's worth? And that's the question on the table this morning. How do you read the Bible for all it's worth? Um, And I'm going to give you three kind of ways in which to engage Scripture this morning, and they're written out in your bulletin as an outline. So listen to this. I want to invite us to learn to read with Jesus. We're going to look at it through the lens of this story in Luke chapter 24, because I think these really come out profoundly in this story. So you can turn there, Luke 24, Road to Emmaus. Learn to read with Jesus, okay? Learn to participate in the reading, and then learn to look at the sky while you're reading, okay? Have you ever walked and read like this? I'm going to invite you to do that today, okay? So first, learn to read with Jesus. And you'll see this is in the bulk of the story, if you're opening to that, and Elise already read it for us, so I won't reread it, but in verses 13 to 27, let me give you the context, because it's, it's a unique story that highlights a universal problem we all face. So these two disciples, one of them we know, Cleopas, the other we don't know who it was. Some, some suggest it's his wife, others we just say it's one of the 12, we don't know. They are walking along this road toward Emmaus, this town called Emmaus, which is away from Jerusalem. They're walking away from Jerusalem, away from this place where Jesus was crucified, away from the story of God. We know why, because in the paragraph just before this story, they've gotten a word from Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, that Jesus is dead. Or I'm sorry, that his body is no longer in the tomb. Uh, and they don't, they don't believe the testimony of these women that he's risen from the dead. They think that maybe the Romans had taken his body. And so they think, they're walking away from the story of God. They think, what do they think? We're next. This guy, he wasn't who he said he was. We're out, you know. We're going to go back to our old lives. Um, And so it's, it's this moment in the story of God that highlights this universal tendency within all of us toward all of life. And here it is. The tendency to become blind to these myriad of opportunities that we have for experiencing beauty, developing connection, creating meaning. Because... Our minds have gone somewhere else. Their minds have gone somewhere else. Call it a loss of focus, a culture of distraction like we have today, or this fog of despair that they're in. Whatever we are going through, we are all at a level walking through life, half blind. Uh, And here's actually, here's a scripture around that. In Isaiah 59, hundreds of years before these two disciples walked down that road, like the blind, we grope along the wall, a wall, groping eyeless in the dark. We shuffle our way in broad daylight like the dead, but somehow walking. Who knew that the walking dead was a Bible verse? Did you guys know that? Isaiah 59.10. There you go. They got it from the Bible. So 
But it's just a graphic example, I think, of, of what's happening here in Emmaus. They're, they're, they're like the dead walking. They have no idea what's happened in their story, even though Jesus stands right before them, as we found out. There's a graphic illustration of this that happened in um, January of 2007. And maybe you know this, January 12, 2007, in the, the subway in um, Washington, D.C., Josh Bell, who's one of the world's best violinists, he, uh, had ju- he, was, he, played his, he played a 43-minute free concert in the subway. You guys ever seen this video of him? He was put up to it. He actually played this concert the night before in Boston Symphony Hall for, like, the tickets were 1000 bucks. He's playing, on a, he's playing on a multi-million dollar Stradivarius violin, and he, except he's not wearing a tuxedo. He's wearing a baseball cap backwards, jeans, and he looks like any, he has his violin case open in front of him. And he's playing there because his friend, who's a columnist for the Washington Post, Gene Weingarten, had put him up to it. And they together were kind of wondering, if people have hundreds of things on their minds, get to work, their kid's science project, their job security, wordsmithing their next tweet, political turmoil, dysfunction in their marriage, whatever it is, if they have thousands of things on their mind, would they be aware that they were in the presence of something special? Could they even be aware of that? And so the short answer is no. As you watch this video, it's just a two or three minute video on YouTube. Like a mother of a three-year-old, this three-year-old wants to go over and watch, and she's dragging her little three-year-old along. And she said, she was interviewed because they found her, well, I had a time crunch. I had an 8.30 training class, and first I had to rush my son off to preschool, uh, and then rush back to work, then to this training facility. So I didn't hear anything out of the ordinary. Didn't even hear it. A man who was in line there to buy lotto tickets kind of glanced over. <laughs> Buying a lotto ticket, <laughs> which is, I've heard, taxation, just for the, those of us that think we're going to get rich, but he didn't think anything about it. He, was just, he just thought this was a guy making a couple bucks, Right? In fact, the metro station that morning, uh, 1,100 people, as you watch this video, streamed by Josh Bell, and nearly every single person missed this concert. So Weingarten, his friend, wrote this article in the Washington Post afterwards, and here's the question he asked. He says, if we can't take the time out of our lives to stay a moment and listen to one of the best musicians on earth for free, (laughs) play some of the best music ever written, in the surge, of, the surge of modern life so overpowers us that we're deaf and blind to something like that, then what else are we missing? What else are we missing? So like I said, this is just a graphic example of a struggle these two people on the road to Emmaus are facing and we all face in the life of faith. If you flip back in the story of God, kind of where this emerges as you're reading the story of God, if you go to Judges chapter 2, you know the story up to this point, the people of Israel have journeyed through the wilderness for... 40-some years. Uh, they've gotten to the promised land. Joshua's another leader. Moses is dead. <clears throat> and what happens is jo- they've, they've conquered the people there, and Joshua sends them each into their inheritance, Joshua 2, 6 to 10. And as he does that, then he passes away. They bury him. And here's Joshua 2, 10. It says, and there arose another generation after that generation that had seen everything God did, that followed faithfully, didn't wander, off arose another generation who did not know the Lord nor the work he'd done for Israel. They'd forgotten, completely forgotten in one generation. And the question I I get every time I read that is like, how did that happen? They actually walked with Moses, walked with Joshua, saw God part the Red Sea, saw God, you know, the plagues, all that stuff. 
How did that happen? Well, if you flip back a little further in the story to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6 specifically, there's this, you see where the, we see this universal age-old tendency to lose our focus, get distracted, walk blind. Where God says to the people, as they're about to head off on this journey, watch yourself. Watch yourself, he says in Deuteronomy 6.12. That when you finally enter the land, because it's going to happen, watch yourself. That you don't forget the Lord who brought you there. Watch yourself. God knew this was going to happen. You see, we struggle, as Stephen Covey once said, to keep the main thing the main thing. We struggle at that. We all do. And, and the reason why, in their case, because this generation had grown up so busy doing the things of God, they'd forgotten God. They were so preoccupied with defending God, with entering the promised land, fighting battles, planting their fields, harvesting, building houses, raising families, that they just completely forgotten. And those are all good things. All defensible, right? You can do those. Those are good things for God. They've forgotten that none of them are adequate as a foundation to build your life on. None of them. They're not the main thing. And what this means for us is the, the, the maze and the bustle of church activity that we're involved in, a lot of us are really involved. Uh, the busyness of our lives, all the things on your calendar right now, all the things you're probably thinking about in this moment, can become at their worst a substitute for knowing God. Uh, as if the main thing is, is coming to church on Sunday, like church attendance, or the call to serve as Jenny invited you to do, or your kid's soccer game later today, as if that's the main thing. It's not the main thing. I want you to hear that this morning. So what's the main thing, you're wondering? <laughs> Deuteronomy 6, remember I said, God said, be careful lest you forget. Right before that, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, really famous Bible passage. It's called the Shema. You know this, hero Israel. The Lord our God is one. Here's what it says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your sons and daughters. Talk of them when you sit down in your house. Bind them as a sign on your hands and your face and your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your home. That's the Shema. So what's the main thing? Number one, listen to this, knowing God is the most important th pursuit of your life, knowing God. And not knowing about God as if like reading your Bible cover to cover in a year, memorizing some verses, listening to a sermon, taking some, that's not knowledge of God. You're knowing about God. Knowing God personally, transformatively, unconditionally loving. That's knowing God. Number two, passing that knowledge on to others. The, most, the second most important thing you can do in your life is share the story of God with those people that God's put in your life. Your family, your children, your friends, your community. This is why we invite you to get in small groups. It's not a function of the church. It's a way in which we can live into this invitation in Deuteronomy 6. Pass that on to other people. Tell the story of God. Rehearse it. So what's the main thing? Knowing God and passing it on. Is that your main thing? As you think of the, the biggest rock in your life right now, is that the biggest rock? Is that the thing you go, hmm, that's, that's what wakes me up in the morning and I go to bed thinking about how to know God, how to pass that knowledge on. I'm going to confess no. Right now it's this in my hand. Like how can I get better so I can get back on my bike, you know? How can I drive and hold my coffee cup and like, I'm not thinking about how to know God, how to pass that knowledge on as much as I'd like to. 
And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty if it's not your main thing. Uh, but listen, how like are we, I'm, I'm putting us, myself in this boat, because we don't open this book, you know, 20% of us probably never open this book. How like are we, because we don't immerse ourselves in the Word of God and affix this Word to our lives as Deuteronomy 6 invites us to, and then share it with other people? How like are we to become blind, deaf, ignorant to the main thing, just like the people on the road to Emmaus? People in Joshua, like, because our energy and our priorities are just, just somewhere else. We've gone somewhere else. We've forgotten who God is. We're very likely. <laughs> That's what the Bible tells us. So the question I want to invite you to think here is how, does, how do you stay focused on the main thing? How do you stay focused on the Word of God? How do you keep that your main thing? Especially when the temptation is to drift, the temptation is to forget. So how might that look to affix the Word of God? I'm not actually asking you like they did in Israel to like get some Velcro or whatever. I don't know how you'd do it. But like walk around with this on your forehead. That wouldn't, I don't think that would be what this is about. I'm inviting you to do something else. And this is why we, I put Luke 24 in front of you. So look what Jesus does with his disciples. Verse 25 and 26 of Luke 24, he says, How foolish you are, talking to these two disciples, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. There's a, an echo there of, of, of Joshua where he, where he said, you know, they didn't know the Lord. They didn't know all that he'd done for Israel in a single generation. This isn't even a generation. It's a day later. They forgot. So they're walking dead. They're walking away from the story of God. And therefore, Jesus says in verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So did you hear that? beginning with Moses and all the prophets, including Obadiah, okay, including all those little minor prophets, he explained to them all that was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So do you know what that means? What Jesus is saying, how he's teaching them to fix the word of God, the story of God to their lives. You see the word all in there? All the scriptures? Do you know what that word means in Greek? All. All of them. Cover to cover. The whole Bible. Do you see what I'm saying? See, for many, the Bible is, is confusing. It's like I don't open it because it just confuses the heck out of me. I, I, I started a Bible reading plan, you know, January 1st. I got to Leviticus. I'm so confused right now, Jack. Right? There's jargon. There's terms. You talk about Greek, Jack. I'm so lost. I don't know that language. There's a lot of different types of literature in there. There's history. There's poems. There's prophets. There's a jumble of things. It's a hot mess, right? How do you fix that to your life? Uh, there's this guy, A.J. Jacobs. He's a satirist on NPR. Uh, he wrote a book a couple of years ago called um, My Year of Living Biblically. And then the subtitle is One Man's Humble Quest to Follow the Bible as Literally as Possible. Did anybody read this book? So, like, he's, he's a secular Jewish person raised in New York City. And uh, just decided, I think, out of actually just to be quite honest, to show how he thinks how arcane and ridiculous the Bible actually is. Like, don't wear clothing with two types of fabric. This is 100% cotton, just so you know. Uh, all these kinds of weird things. So he's like, I'm just going to live it out, every commandment, every verse for a whole year. And if you read the book, it's, it's literally impossible to do. It's, it's kind of a, a joke in some ways. And so fixing this thing to my life, I just go, man, yeah, it's really hard. Oh. How do I do that? And you see what Jesus is saying. He's saying all the Bible is about him. 
See, we, get, we lose the forest, the forest through the trees, however that goes. And what this means is we need to fix the Word of God to our lives. We need to look at it in one way or another, whatever verse you're in, whatever t- book of the Bible you're in, as purpose to bring you into relationship with Christ. Uh, to put your, as, a, as a way in which you can put your faith in Christ, to bring your life in alignment with Christ. The whole Bible. Jesus says, all the Bible's about me. Genesis to Revelation. So the story you're in might seem confusing. Like you're in this book, you're like, I don't know what it's about. Like it wasn't, like there in this story, it wasn't supposed to end this way. Jesus wasn't supposed to, the Messiah wasn't supposed to be wrongfully convict, convicted and executed on a cross. He wasn't, that wasn't supposed to happen. He's supposed to be this amazing leader. He's supposed to gather the nation together. We're supposed to be this politically triumphant community. There are people that still believe that. And Jesus says, no, you haven't read the story. You haven't read the story. It's a story with a theme, a theme of descending into greatness, strength and weakness, power and suffering. And that theme is all about him. There's this uh, children's Bible that we give to all the families here who like, get, have their kids dedicated. So some of you have received this. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, we gave this to our daughter, Marin, some years ago, and we read it with her and Elliot now and then. <clears throat> Here's one reason I love it. Because you know those children's Bibles, like they have the golden rule in it, and you're like, seriously? I know it's in Leviticus 19, but seriously, is that life? Is that the Bible? Like I saw a commercial last night during the UW game. Moment of silence. But it was literally a commercial. I wasn't all long enough. Sorry, is it too soon? (laughs) It's too soon. Um, But it was all about like the golden rule. I was like, weird. That's what people think the Bible's all about. Here's what this Bible says in the preface. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules, like the golden rule, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. And the Bible does have rules in it. They, they show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you. You hear that? The Bible isn't about you or what you should or shouldn't be doing. It's about God and what God's done. You hear that? Here's the second thing. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy, you know, like Mary and Peter and Joseph and Abraham, right? The Bible does have some heroes in it. But most of the people in the Bible are not heroes at all. In fact, quite the opposite. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid. They run. At times, they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules it's a book or a book of heroes. The Bible is a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. It's the most wonderful of fairy tales, but it's come true in real life. And listen to this. It takes the whole Bible to tell that story. And at the center of that story, there's a baby, and every story in this story whispers his name. Every story in this story whispers his name. He's like the missing piece of a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly, when you put it in, you can see a beautiful picture. That's what Jesus is saying to these two lost disciples. This whole thing's about me, and you're missing the point. He's like Josh Bell in the subway saying, I've got this beautiful symphony I want to play for you. It's called the gospel, and you're missing it. You're missing it right now. Keep the main thing the main thing, my friends. So, and when you begin reading the Bible like that, when you see it's not about you, when you, when you not about how you're supposed to live, how you're supposed to get God into your life, but about how he wants to get in, how he is in our lives, how it's about him, what he's done. 
it'll change your life. You'll begin to see Christ present with you even in the midst of your hopelessness and your confusion and your despair and your darkness. Uh, and this is really important right now. Listen, this is so important right now because the, the news cycle is killing us. Like you, the first thing most of us go to in the morning is our news feed or our Twitter feed or whatever feed it is. We're feeding off that and that is killing us. It's giving us, it's discouraging us. It's filling us fear and hopelessness. We feel like failures. We feel like we should not be raising children in this world. We're facing addiction, loss of intimacy in our marriages, cancer, bankruptcy, all these things. <laughs> we need to know that Jesus walks with us. And not just with us in the high moments, but he's revealed through the low moments in our lives that he is the one who died on the cross. He suffered to save. So to that end, I just want to get really practical right here before we go to the second point, okay? I have this three by five card. Actually, it's a four by six card. In the back of my Bible, I have like this little moleskin pocket in the back of my Bible. And it has these like daily devotion questions on it that I, I got from a church I was a part of in, in New York City when I was back east. Um, and one of those questions is this. Uh, how can I love and praise God on the basis of this thing I'm reading? How does it reveal, listen to this, how does it reveal as I reflect on this word, Jesus, as the ultimate revelation of this word? How does this text I'm in, as I'm going to the Bible, whatever text I'm in, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, prophet, you name it, how does it help reveal Jesus in my life? How does it bring Jesus into my life? Show me Jesus. It's a framing question I'd invite all of us to have as we're reading the Word of God. That's what it means to affix the Word of God to your life, to have it there, and then share about that with other people. That's the lens for those that wear glasses. Those are the lenses we're being invited to look through, always. But don't stop with that. Remember, Jesus is not satisfied with us just being observers of the Bible, students of the Bible. His desire is always that we be participants in the story. So here's the second thing. Learn to participate in the reading. So learn to uh, read it with Jesus, but then also learn to participate in it. So as the story moves on, this is in verses 28 and 29 of Luke 24. Did you notice Jesus kind of pretended to go on? Jesus kept going as if he had somewhere to go. Why did he do that? Because immediately he, they invite him to stay with him, have dinner, and this beautiful thing about their hearts being on fire happens, which we'll get to in a moment. I th- listen to this. They, he wants to move them from being these curious bystanders, walking along with this naive, out-of-touch stranger, to engaging with the, the very God whom they're walking with and worshiping in their own next step. They, he wants them to be participants in the Word of God. Which is say this, that we enter the world of the Bible, the, the Word of God, in which God's the subject, in order to become participants in that story, not observers. We're given this book that we can imaginatively, believingly participate in it. It's our story. It's not done yet. I mean, the end of the story hasn't happened yet. It's revelation. It hasn't come yet. We don't know when that's going to happen. We're somewhere in between. So John 5, 39, Jesus has these people who want to know him. And he says, it's never enough to just read your Bible, memorize some verses, and go home. 
You, you need, that's not the point. You don't worship, we don't worship the Bible, okay? We, we don't do that. We worship Jesus. Jesus is the point, and it's about knowing him, sharing intimacy with him, walking with him, which means we have our part to play. We have our part to play. In any relationship, it's, it's meant to be mutual. You have your part to play, and it's the same with Jesus. We have a part to play in this story, and we're given that by the Holy Spirit. And as we play our part, we become participants in this story. You see this? So if we haven't entered the text as participants, we're not going to understand what's going, on, what's going on. If you're not participating in the story of God, you're not going to understand it. So it can't be understood from watching like from the bleachers or expensive box seats or wherever you sit in the stadium. We need to be on the field, so to speak. So some of you knew I, I grew up as a swimmer. Um, I swam age group, high school, college. I was pretty good at it. Made Olympic trials in 1992. Claim to fame. I went to college and swam. But throughout that time, I, I, was, I was kind of a geek. Well, I still am. But I, I had like three swimming magazines. Did you know there's such a thing as swimming magazines? Like there's a magazine for everything. But I had three subscriptions that I'd get. And I, I would go get to the library. I'd get books on swimming. Things about diet, training methods, how to care for my injuries, endorphins, carb loading, all this stuff. I was like geek. I wanted to be the best in my event. I would follow all the swimming results, like some of you follow baseball box scores. Like I was really into it. And the key here is that none of that writing, with, with few exceptions, was actually that good. It's full of, like this is true of running magazines, cycling magazines, most magazines, most writing, <laughs> full of cliches, like just repetitive. Maybe I'm being repetitive right now. But I was a swimmer and I read it all. I loved it, loved it. When I left school, after college, I left swimming. I, I quit. I kind of quit. I kind of hung my swimsuit up. Uh, I know that's an image you want to take back, isn't it? <laughs> I am fully clothed right now. It never occurred to me that swimming was something that you could do as a healthy adult for fitness and fun. It never occurred to me. And besides, I was a pastor at this time, and I didn't think my parishioners would appreciate seeing me at the local community center in my Speedos. So I was like, eh, TMI, right? So I don't need that. And it literally wasn't until three weeks ago, before I, three weeks before I broke this, that I was back in the water. I was talking to Ashley about this. And I had this great, I swam up like the Helen Madison pool in, near Shoreline. Real good couple, like hour workout, couple miles. I loved it. I loved it. And like suddenly I had this flash of curiosity. I went home about the world of swimming. I, I, um, I was like, what's the pool schedule? I want to start doing that more. And is there a master's team I could join? You know, get back into it. It, did, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And the goggles and the hand paddles I had, like they were in the swimsuit, the Speedos. People were kind of looking at me funny. Are those the things still? Should I, I should probably look at a fashion magazine for swimming. You know, and like nutrition, what's, what's, what's changed, you know? Who's the best swimmer in the 200 breaststroke now? That was my event. Who's the best in the world? What's the time? How close am I? Could I go to the Olympics still? You know? <laughs> you know? The key is the moment I began swimming, the moment I, that's the moment I started reading. Do you hear my point? That's the moment I started caring about it again. I wasn't reading about it. I didn't care about it because I wasn't doing it. I'd quit. And that's when I caught the significance of what Jesus is doing with his disciples on the road to Emmaus. As he pretends to go on, He's inviting them to participate in the story of God. It's not enough just to have a good Bible study with Jesus. 
They probably had a couple hour Bible study. It's a long walk before he decided he's going to move on. He wants to draw them into the story a little further. It meant that, that as I read the Bible, it means this. Every word is intended to be an extension, a deepening, a correction, an affirmation of something I'm a part of today. Uh, I, was, I was reading about swimming, not primarily because it was something I was, just, I was curious about, but because it was something I was doing. I experienced companionship there, validation, health, a sense of purpose. And that's what Jesus is trying to invite them to do. Reading your Bible, the parallel here is almost exact. I'm not reading it just to know some stuff. Bible knowledge is really not that. Go back to A.J. Jacob's book. It's really not that awesome. Like there's astronomy and there's geography and there's all kinds of great stuff out there to learn. It's really about participating in the reality that God has a desire for justice and reconciliation and God breaks in with hope. He has a deep concern for mercy. He, he wants you to know your calling. We find that as we participate in this story. That's what I'm trying to say here. That's what Jesus is doing with his disciples. So the most important question, I know I gave you one question, how can I praise Jesus for being the ultimate revelation of this text I'm in? Here's the most important question. Not what does this mean as you come to a story you're reading. How can I obey? Are you asking yourself that? How can I respond to this word that I'm in? What is it inviting me toward? Richard, our senior pastor, has this great phrase he always says, maybe you know it by heart, all transformation is response to revelation. You want your life to change? You're being invited to respond to the thing that's revealed to you. And this is just a source of revelation. There's revelation all around us, this is one source. A simple act of response will open your life up with more power than any sermon, <laughs> than any Bible study, just responding to what you're reading. Not that those are irrelevant, but they're not the most important thing, responding to the revelation that you're given. So as you come to the Word of God, be asking yourself, where am I in this story? How can I respond? Where am I at? How can I respond? How is this story reading me? How is it reading me in my life? Would you let it read you? Here's the last thing I want to look at with you. Learn to look at the sky while you're reading, okay? So let me read these, last, these verses to you because I just want to kind of hit the refresh on this story. This is the very end. Jesus pretends to go on, sits down with them, has the meal. Here's, the, here's that part. When he's at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. Listen to this. Then they asked each other, were not our hearts on fire within us? Well, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures with us. Were not our hearts on fire? When's the last time that your heart was on fire? When's the last time that your heart was on fire? Might have been in a relationship you're in. Might have been watching a football game. Not last night. Might have been watching a movie? Has your heart ever been on fire while reading the Bible? Has it ever been on fire? See, what if we, what if the Bible was really about bringing our hearts on fire? I mean, it's alive, after all, Hebrews 4. Like, <laughs> how does that happen? And here's the way, learn to read while looking at the sky. Here's what I mean by that. 
1916, this young pastor named Karl Barth, some of you maybe have heard of Karl Barth, I've mentioned him a few times. He was a pastor in Switzerland during World War II in that, that era. He was giving a sermon in this neighboring village to where he was a pastor. Uh, his friend Edward Turnstein was a pastor as well, and so he's preaching at his church. Bart's just 30 years old at this point. He'd been a pastor for five years. He's starting to discover the Bible. This is before he wrote the church dogmatics and all these things he did. A few miles the other way down the road in Germany, Europe is on fire with war. And there's this epidemic of lies that one writer, Karl Krauss, wrote at that time about the, this irreparable termination of what was humane in Western civilization. That's happening. So Bart gives this sermon in this church called The Strange New World Within the Bible. He's discovering this strange new world. And in that, he has this illustration that I want to offer to you that's become really famous. A simple illustration of a, of a group of people that were being raised or that had grown up in a warehouse. So imagine for a moment, just an illustration that this group of men and women like us are living in a warehouse and there's, there's no doors. We have everything we need. Maybe this could be it. We have everything we need. Uh, there's some windows though, lots of windows, but because of the years, they've never gone outside. They can't get outside. The windows are thick with dust. And so no one even bothers to look out the window. They have everything they need, everything they need. One day, one of the children who'd grown up in this warehouse drags a, a little stool over to one of the windows and cleans the window off and looks out. And this girl sees walking down the street a group of people that's gathered together, and she invites her friends to come over and look because this group of people now are looking up at the sky. Uh, and she has no concept of a sky, but they're looking up. They're talking excitedly about something. And so you know what the kids do because they've, they've grown up in this warehouse. They look up, and they see nothing but a, sea, a roof, and they think to themselves, these people are crazy. They're just looking at the roof. Why are they staying around acting crazy for no reason at all, just pointing at nothing? And of course, we all know that the people in the street aren't looking at the roof. They're looking at an airplane, or an eagle, or a hot air balloon, or a pile of cumulus clouds. The people in the street are looking up and seeing, as Bart says, the heavens and everything in the heavens. They're in awe of that, right? So the, the warehouse people have no reason for awe because they have a roof. That's all they have. So what would happen, Bart says, if one day one of those kids cut a door, because they were so curious, cut a door in the warehouse and coaxed his or her friends out just to see what those people were looking at and discovered above them this immense sky and the grand horizons beyond them. I mean, have you ever just looked at the sky for the sake of looking at the sky? Isn't it amazing? That's what happened that day with Jesus and these two disciples that were walking astray on the road to Emmaus. They're walking away from the story of God, walking away from their source of hope, walking away from their calling. Jesus just cuts a door in their hearts this time where the Spirit can energize and animate them and fill them with hope and provoke them to faith. And their hearts catch fire which is what happens when Bart says when we open the Bible with an eye to the sky. When you read the Bible looking at the sky, we enter this unfamiliar world of God, a world of creation and salvation that stretches endlessly beyond us. Let those images take you. When we open the book and we find in its pages, page after page that takes us off guard, surprises us, draws us in, pulls us into participation with God, we find that 
there's another world. And we're being invited into it. And so we need a complete renovation of our imaginations is what we need. We've anesthetized the Bible. We're accustomed to thinking the biblical world is smaller than the world in which we live. Like, we have these phrases that give it away. Uh, we make the Bible relevant today. A.J. Jacobs is all about that. Make the Bible relevant today because, you know, it's so old and arcane. As if the world of the Bible is something that we have to fit into our world. <laughs> we talk about fitting the Bible in our lives, making room in our daily calendar for the Bible. As if the Bible is something we can add on or squeeze into what we're doing. We do that. What we must never, I, should, I would never want to encourage you to do is do that, although all of us are guilty of it at one point or another. What we, should, what we must never do is try and fit the Bible into our experience. As it, that's like trying to fit, I heard someone say, the ocean into a thimble. You, what we need to be doing instead is to try and fit into the world of the Bible. Uh, swim in this vast ocean, you could say, of the kingdom of God. Um, and therefore, what I want to, what I like to invite as you look at the, what this looks like to look at the sky while reading is to uh, begin to practice this hermeneutic of adoration. So there's, I'll end with this, there's a couple different ways to read the Bible. There's this hermeneutic of suspicion. It can't be true. It's full of lies, you know, and especially like religious people, they lie all the time. This can't be true, right? And yeah, be careful as you read things. People write things all the time that aren't true. I want to invite us to come to the story of God with a different hermeneutic, another way of interpreting it, which is called, a, I would call a hermeneutic of adoration. In other words, as you come to the Word of God, ask God, how can I praise you for what you revealed? How can I love you for this text? What do I see here that I can adore you for? I can love you for that's true. Uh, here's what Eugene Peterson says, and I'll, I'll just end with this. I'll invite our worship leaders up. When it comes to the Word of God, we find ourselves in this, this truly expanding universe that exceeds everything we've learned in geography or astronomy. Our imaginations thus have to be revamped to take in this immense world of God. In, in contrast with our cramped human worlds, okay? As we personally participate in this, this world with an emphatically personal God, listen to this, we have to be willing to accept the strangeness of this world, it's strange. Would you accept it? That it doesn't fit into your preconceptions of your life, but also in its staggering strangeness and largeness, uh, as you spend your life exploring it, you'll find God. You'll find the vastness of God's love and generosity and hope and joyfulness. And so uh, look at the sky as you're reading. Look beyond the roof of what you know. Ask God, how can I adore you for this? And so to that end, what I want to invite us to do, we want, I want this series to be really practical for us. So in your, I think some of you dropped them, but in your bulletins, there was this little card. Um, let me see if I have, I have one up here. You might have a reading plan already that you're, you're reading the Bible, and, or maybe you were one of those that hasn't touched it for a while. So I just came up with a little six, this is a six-week series Six-week reading plan in the Gospel of Luke. Um, I've been just reading the Gospel of Luke lately, and it's, I'm loving it. So, and if you, if you miss a few days, just pick up that day. I mean, it's, it's, it's been there for a long time, so don't worry. You, you catch up. I mean, 
just invites you to read looking at the sky. Look for Jesus. Participate. So six weeks, we'll try and read together. You could pause your reading plan or just continue what you've, you've got going already. That's great. If you don't have one, here's one for you, okay? Um, enough? All right. I think the kids are going to come back in, so as they do that, let me pray. Maybe they're not. I just see Andrew at the door, so behind him is Seth. Uh, God, thanks for your word and that uh, as we open it together, um, it does invite us into participation in the life that you've given us in your son. And so, God, we open our hands now to, uh, to release what we've carried here and we ask you to, to take our burdens, um, to carry us now in this coming week, in these moments as we respond, and to show us, God, how we can join your story. We can take steps towards you and with you. And even as you did with those two disciples, would you uh, start a fire in our hearts, God, for you? Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um.